Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. to Justice, podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. In this episode, I talk to Sarah Burrows, founder of Children Heard and Seen, a charity she set up to support children and families affected by parental imprisonment. Sarah shares the challenges of working in this field and stresses the vital need to support children to work through the stigma, isolation and trauma they experience when a parent is imprisoned. This podcast contains real-life recordings of children, which some listeners may find distressing. I'm Sarah Burrows. Um, I set up Children Heard and Seen, and I currently run it. And why, Sarah, did you set it up? What led you to, to start the organisation? Um, back in um, 2006 to 2011, I was a manager in the Youth Offending Service in Oxfordshire, um, and my role and remit was to look at children, young people who were entering the criminal justice um, system for the first time. And there was a lot of children who were entering who had a parent in prison. And it was quite, I was really interested in that. So I had a look around to see what support services there might be and realised that there was very little. So um, decided to set something up. And what sort of numbers? I know the numbers can be sketchy at best. There's sort of numbers banded around like 17,000 children a year are removed from parents going into prison. Is that right? Or is that children being removed from mothers? The 17,000 children a year, I think, is at 17,000 um, children whose mothers are in prison, but I'm not sure. That number seems to have remained completely static, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I'm not actually sure if it is a 17,000. I know that the Crest did a report last year and said that there were 312,000 a year um, that um, children who were impacted by the um, parent being in prison. Yeah, and the other statistic I um, got off your website was 65% of boys with a parent in prison go on to offend, which is unbelievably high. When I initially set up the charity, that was quite a motivating force. The 65% of boys with a parent in prison going on to offend and thinking, if you know this, then actually let's do something about that. But as time has gone on, around the offending element of it hasn't been the, the, the sort of motivating force. It's the shame and the stigma and the isolation that the children experience that until I set it up that I wasn't aware of. I was very coming in from it of let's look at reoffending, let's look at children offending, what motivates to offend. Whereas actually I'm much more aware now of the shame, stigma, isolation and the trauma that children have experienced. Right. So if we take a sort of an example of a couple, you've got maybe two children under the age of 10, 
the mother goes into prison and the child either remains with a family member or goes into care, right? And then at what point might you sort of pick up on those children or or where do you sort of intersect in that kind of chronology of the story? So one of the really difficult things uh, setting up the charity initially was who are who are these children and where are they? Because there isn't any mechanism to identify and support children. So we had to go out to schools and say, you know, this is what we're offering. Um, and it was primary schools mainly that, that identified um, children. Um, now it's, it's parents themselves. So in terms of, it could be at any part of the process. So we're supporting um, parents and children currently who are looking at a custodial sentence. We are supporting families who have been recently released. So it could be at any stage throughout throughout the sentence really so you could be working with a woman or a man for example who is awaiting sentence and they're trying to get their heads around the fact that their children might be removed is that correct no what our focus is always on the child okay for an example of one of oh there we've got a, a mother who's looking at a custodial sentence so actually we're supporting in terms of preparing the child um and that the children will be going if she um, receives a custodial sentence that looks likely um, she will be going to the grandparents so it's actually checking that there will actually be somewhere in terms of the, where the children could go and then we will support the children throughout the process in terms of that grief loss that they will experience when their parent is in prison. But that sounds incredibly traumatic and I can't imagine how you would even begin to have those conversations with children in that example a woman's waiting to be sentenced she may or may not get a custodial sentence so that must be another tricky element to it if you're preparing the children to sort of to all extents and purposes lose their mother for a period and then she doesn't get a custodial sentence and isn't sent to prison do you then have to unravel what you've prepared them for or does that not usually happen? It doesn't usually happen. The children that we support all have a parent in prison. But in this case, because it, a custodial sentence is will happen, that's why we have decided to support. So, yeah, there isn't the resources out there in terms of preparing and looking. What would be great would be to have family group conferences when families were look, looking at custodial sentences, particularly when a mother was looking at a custodial sentence, but there isn't the resources out there in terms of to do that. Right. And then do you also help the mother or father um, to be able to talk to their children? Because I have certainly learned over the years that sometimes people will say, oh, your father's working away or I'm going away for a bit with work. And they sometimes don't want to tell the truth, depending on the length of the sentence. Do you help the parent to be able to communicate with their children? Yeah, so... There's all different sort of strands of support that we offer. Um, what the, one of the support is actually for the parent or the grandparent who's looking after the child to tell the child where um, their parent is. Um, and we prepare the parent to say that, you know, what to say, looking developmentally where the child, you know, how old the child is, the offence type, and then do like a personalised crib sheet for the remaining parent 
to, to tell to actually be able to say to the child and children and then meet with the children if they've got any questions after with the remaining parent or grandparent. Um, and then we we've like a workbook, but working through experience from arrest to release. Um, and it's not a time limited piece of work. It's structured, but actually for the child to be able to talk about their, their conflicting feelings. You know, you um, there are children who will have very mixed emotions about their parent um, being in prison. You know, they might well have witnessed the domestic violence um, from their father to their mother um, and still love their father desperately, but actually the mother is now safe. Um, they've witnessed it. Their mother could have been their sole primary caregiver and they're with the grandparent and they, they miss the mother. Um, there are children who were seeing you know seeing their father every other weekend um and the 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 relationship between the two parents was very, was very challenging so the child can't actually be able to grieve to the mother you know that i miss my father because obviously they've got you know every family is different so we always try and do it from a sort of child centered child focus what it what you know what what works for that child recognizing that every child has unique and different feelings about their parent being in prison but the what goes all the way through is that sadness shame stigma you know that that children have you know bullied at school they suffer at school um people can be really unpleasant about their parent being in prison you know they won't think of you um they don't care about you they ca they can have i don't know we've had cases of children having a concrete blocks through their windows feces through the door being beaten up watching their mother beat up beaten up i mean really really horrific stuff um a child at school recently you know if my dad did that I would kill myself that was going around in a whatsapp group beaten up by you know huge numbers of other children um, and that children really are you know suffering and and our support is to actually give them a safe space to talk about that trauma that they've experienced you know it could start from arrest you know being in the house watching police officers come in, watching what happens, not being able to move, not being able to go to their parent, that, you know, they could be asleep at night, woken up, door smashed in, police coming in, you know, parent arrested, you know, witnessing real trauma. When the police came to our house, I felt really scared and I didn't want Daddy to leave, but I really miss him. I was asleep in my bed one night when a police officer burst into my dad's house. I was absolutely terrified. It could be that nobody knows. You've not, you've not told anybody. And then obviously the addresses are printed in the press and you, you, know, you find out in the playground. Their addresses are printed in the newspapers. What purpose does that solve, knowing that there's vigilantes who like to go out and cause trouble? What is the purpose? Do you know? I understand that the purpose is that um, the, the public is believed has a right to know about who has committed the offences. You sort of think, OK, fine, but they don't need to know where they live. No, they don't. And, you know, some, somebody could be on remand and, um, 
and still the address is printed in the press. You know, they're not in the family home, but children are. And I just believe that if we, if children are in the family home, then then the address should not be printed. When this story was printed in the newspaper, our family had to move because we were getting harassed so badly. It took, it got to the point where our mum was physically attacked, all because our address was all over the media. People didn't care that there was three innocent children in our house. And that sounds like one of those things that I'm really interested in, you know, the name of my organisation, One Small Thing. You know, that would be a small thing that could be changed that would stop children at least having their windows bricked. Yep. So how and who does that sit with? Do you know? I mean, you don't, there's no, there's no reason why you should know, but it's just got me thinking, you know, how could that be changed? Because that's ludicrous and would be very easy to change, I imagine. Yeah. But I yeah. think, you know, the problem, as you all well know, is the fact that often these issues aren't known about, actually, um, which is why your organisation is so important. And there is always this perception that is that I know our local paper printed, you know, an explanation why they did this. And one of their statements was, you weren't thinking about your family when you committed the offence. And again, it's it's sort of public opinion, isn't it? You know, you weren't thinking about your children. But actually, yeah. can we focus back on the children? On There is a child in this house. Why does it need to be? It's, it's not about the parent. It's about the child. And surely as a compassionate society, we want to look at the children growing up in a caring society for later, you know, later on as well. You know, what, what we have as children impacts later on. Exactly. That's something I've never understood either, which is the sort of people really not being able to um, differentiate between the person who's committed the crime and the innocent child. You know, I know emotions run high and, you know, particularly if, you know, a woman or a man particularly set out to do something that was premeditated, it's like, fine, that is them and they will pay the price. Um, but the child would have known nothing about it, had nothing to do with it, and their life is being impacted, their emotions, their mental health, their physical health, everything for that child is being affected in a negative way, yet there is no recognition of that nationally, really, very little understanding, and absolutely no support for them, which is why you set up your organisation, but I mean, it just kind of beggars belief. The other thing that I am astounded by is that we don't know who children are with a parent in prison. You know, we know children whose families are in the military, but we don't know who children are who have a parent in prison. Um, and so for children visiting and um, ones that are having, are having contact or unable to visit, then obviously they're known. But the children that don't visit, the children that don't have contact, they're just slipping through the net. Nobody knows who they are. And there is no mechanism to capturing who the children are. And with that, and there's no support services around, you know, because obviously that you could only you should only be identifying if there is, you know, a safe way for them to be identified and supported. You don't want to stigmatize and shame further. But there isn't even the opportunities for families to be able to say to school, you know, it's it would be an informal conversation. Whereas if there was formal processes, 
I think it would support children a lot more. So whose job do you think it should be and which department should it sit within to find out, you know, and to make sure that people know who these vulnerable children are? They might have been vulnerable in the first place. Now they're doubly vulnerable. Where should that sit? Whose job should it be? It definitely should sit under the Department of Education. A solution, I think, would be through schools admissions. So families had the option to be able to say when they had a new school place that, that they had a parent in prison um, and that they should then be supported through schools premium and then actually making sure that there was support for children. Whereas now it's pockets of support up and down the country for children with a parent in prison. There's no consistent support around. It's, it is a postcode lottery of what you could access or not access as well. Who predominantly provides the provision? Is it third sector predominantly or is it the schools? It's third sector, yes. It is very small. It is very small. Mm. Um, when I was younger, I worked for an organisation in a, in a women's prison and I sort of had first-hand experience of supporting a girl actually in a school whose mother was in the prison that I was working in. And um, it kind of shocked me that I ended up doing that job because I thought, I'm not entirely qualified. I did it. I understood it. You know, I wanted to be there and I wanted to be supporting this girl. But I was in my early 20s and I definitely thought this is very odd that I've been allowed into this school, actually, to support this girl. Um, I was very careful about what I did and what I said, but there was no formal structure around me going into that school to speak to that girl about her mother in prison. And I sort of thought, I often found myself, you know, in my early 20s in these situations where I was like, how is this okay? I mean, I'm glad I'm doing it because I'm enjoying it. And I understood the enormity and the responsibility that I had. But I thought, how many other people are just randomly pinging around doing a really incredibly challenging job if they haven't been trained properly? I had no training. I mean, one of the great things um, that we have is a mentoring scheme. Um, and so what you describe seems very similar to the mentoring. So what the mentoring is, is a neutral person from outside the family home um, that can be there for the child. And our mentoring scheme is a year to 18 months, once a week to see the child. So it just gives the child someone to speak to outside the family home. You know, you go out and go for a walk, go and do some activities together. But it's a consistent adult for the child. But somebody, because there is so many different mixed emotions, you know, in the house, from from the remaining parent or the or the um, ex-partner, siblings, everyone's got different feelings and emotions. And from what you described, that's really similar to our mentoring, that you have somebody that just comes in and is there just specifically for that child. I imagine your mentors receive training, don't they, in how to be, what to say. I unfortunately didn't have any of that, but was very careful with it. But I do remember this girl telling me things that I thought, I'm just not sure either that I'm qualified to deal with the things that she's telling me, and I'm not sure I know what to do with that information now. Um, and that kind of alarmed me. So I imagine that one of the really important things with the mentoring and the mentoring that you offer is the training around that? The people who provide the mentoring as the mentors need to be really non-judgmental, really kind, and and actually go at the child's pace, be really child-focused, what it is, and just be a consistent person. And obviously there's different training, you know, training around safeguarding, about how to have challenging conversations, what 
training that people think that they would need, but it's about being neutral and going at that child's pace. And it be about being about the child and not about themselves in that mentoring role, you know, but also anything that they're not sure about to always ask and say, you know, to ask us and say, what is it? You know, I had this conversation to check in and just talk about it. But it's that it's that neutral, just being there and actually believing in that child, really. Right. And then so you do the mentoring. Do you do group work as well? Tell me about that. We do the three bits. We do the one-to-one support, you know, that I talked about and how to tell the child, working through feelings and emotions with, with the children. And group work is much more about children feeling different. Um, and the group work can have a, a focus on the parent being in prison or it cannot. It's about coming together as a shared experience and seeing other children and thinking they're normal like me. At school in the classroom, I feel like I'm the only one who feels how I feel. It feels like I have a secret that I don't want anyone else to know. But then when I came to the group and met other children whose parents are also in prison, it makes it easier and I get to share my feelings and feel safe. When I'm at school and with my mates, I feel like I have to keep my feelings to myself because I don't want people to talk about me. When I'm in groups with other kids like me, I feel like I'm not alone and when I speak to my one-to-one mentor, I know I'm safe to tell her my feelings. When you have this, these fears and these anxieties, in some way you're different, you just need to be reassured and the group work gives that. I mean, we had um, a Christmas party um, in a hall and a boy of seven, when he left, it was the first time he'd come to anything. And when he's left, his mother said to him, you do realise everybody there had a mum or a dad in prison? And she said he just burst into tears. He was just overwhelmed that actually it was really powerful for him to see that. And he'd been told at school not to say anything. He was told it was, um, quote, inappropriate by his head teacher. And he had witnessed the arrest of his father um, and, see, and witnessed his father being thrown down um, and not allowed to move. Um, he was sitting on a sofa. He had had to remain very still. Um, and the mother hadn't been able to move and the toddler had been by, by her, her legs. So for him, it had been, he had witnessed a lot of trauma. So we do a lot of group work. At the moment, we're running groups Sunday to Friday. So yeah, a lot. And we're running groups virtually, but when it isn't COVID, you run groups face to face. You get the children together in groups and you don't get the parents involved in that in any way or their primary carers because it is completely about the children being able to express, right? Yeah, those are children's groups, but we also run family groups. So we do family activities together. Um, And always in the summer, we always come together and do a residential um, over um, three days and two nights. And so everybody comes, um, comes together. Um, and we do family activities together. So, um, yeah, as as families, for other families to meet one another. And for parents and carers who remain behind, we also run um, adult evening groups as well for adults. Because, again, there are different conflicting feelings. You know, there are the parents who desperately miss that partner. Um, there are parents who who are still trying to navigate the relationship but want to co-parent, you know, with the person inside. And there are ones who 
never want to see or have that parent involved in their child's life. So you've got different, you know, different families experiencing different things. And actually, it's always helpful to meet others and talk through situations. And do you use art therapy as a way of drawing things out of the children? And no, we use draw and talk as um, a therapeutic tool. Right. And can, can you explain the sort of power behind that and why it's so... I mean, we can imagine why it's an appropriate uh, tool for children. Um, but could you explain a bit more about that? I think it's because there's so much going on um, in children's heads and it just provides that safe space to actually be able to draw something and then talk about what is worrying them. And it's just, again, it's a structured... That's a structured piece of work. That's a 10-week piece of work that's just structured and supportive. I mean, ideally, would be to be able to have play therapy and art therapy. I mean, at the moment, we've just got, I think it's 198 children we're supporting. Um, and there are three of us delivering the, um, the on the practitioner side of the, of the work. So, you know, in an ideal world would be to be able to be resourced and have funding to, to, be, to be able to do play therapy and art therapy and actually much more intensive family work. But it's not, it's not something that, that funders are particularly interested in. It doesn't fit. It doesn't really fit anywhere. It's not criminal justice. Um, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't fit. And, and children with a parent in prison, you know, I, I always make jokes that if we were running a charity for Labradors, we would get much more funding. It does, it's not one that people want to fund. And yet, actually, if, if there was funding, then there could be much more intense support for children you know around play therapy art therapy but there isn't so how many people in your organization compared to the sort of size of the problem that you're trying to tackle that appears to be quite quite a big one um currently there's five of us um working um in children's scene we um use student social workers um master student social workers quite a lot um, and they come on to placement with us so currently we've got four on placement to help with our capacity. With COVID and lockdown, because we put our services online, has meant many more families have self-referred themselves from all over the country for support. So okay. our numbers have increased, whereas prior to that we were really only in Oxfordshire, Berkshire and um, a small bit of Birmingham and a small bit of Milton Keynes. But I think now definitely we'll, we'll carry on with this virtual arm of support as well. So sort of looking to the future, what is it that other than to be able to reach more children, to be, to be able to provide more support, I suppose government wise, what would you like to see happen? You know, you address the fact that um, it should be someone's job to actually work out who these children are and where they are. It's also estimates as well, isn't it? So Crest Data estimates there's 312,000 with, uh, you know, children um, a year who have a parent in prison but actually it's an estimate you know surely we could we should be able to know how many children have a parent in prison you know surely um and I think it's understanding that much more that I don't think we do and the statistics around women in prison um 60 percent of women in prison are said to have a child or be a primary carer you know and again I'm not sure where those statistics are drawn from in the sense that you and I both know that it's not really counted in any rigorous way 
So what is your view on the government's announcement of building 500 new prison places when we know that's going to, I mean, that equates to, we have 12 women's prisons in this country, that equates actually to an, another whole prison, because there's roughly about 500 women in a prison, um, give or take. So what, you know, that represents many more children being affected. So what was your sort of reaction to that? Children need supporting, you know, and children need their attachments, you know, and actually separating children from their parents, you know, if we should be that should be a complete last resort, you know, cho- you know, children to grow up with their strong attachments do need their parents. Yeah, and we also know that you know, particularly women are giving often given sentences of just a couple of weeks. And yes, some might say, well do the crime, do the time. But when you think about the enormous collateral damage and impact that has on so many people, the money it costs, you think, there must be a better way than sending people to prison for just a few days and a couple of weeks. But also the men, we know that it's usually the women who are the primary carers, but of course there'll be some men, I guess, who are primary carers. Do we have any statistics on that that you know of? We don't have any. But also, it isn't just the primary care bit. It's the relationship for the for the child of, of that parent anyway, even if they weren't the primary carer. If parents are separated and they were going to see their father, you know, but actually how many years, how long is it going to be? Who's supporting that relationship? You know, if the mother is separated and actually doesn't want to, who who's actually supporting that for the child? Um, but also... For, for women that have separated, they're obviously no longer getting child maintenance because you know, they can't, he's inside. You know, so actually, financially, they're really impacted as well. Um, and then the one left looking after the child, you know, all the time. I find it amazing in 2021 when you sort of hear all these slogans like every child matters and, you know, we sort of pride ourselves on, you know, will you fight for the child and this, that and the other. And actually, when you sort of get close to the front line and you see what's going on, you can't help but be utterly appalled that in Great Britain 2021, there's a whole swathe of children that are entirely forgotten about. I am so surprised how that I continue to be surprised how invisible children with a parent in prison are. You know that actually, it, the focus on them is 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 non-existent. You know there is such little, yeah, there's such little support out there for them. There really is. Well, thank goodness for you, and thank goodness for children heard and seen, and all your amazing work. And if people wanted to be in touch or get involved, um, what we'll do is put the uh, notes of your organisation into the footnotes of the podcast. But yeah, would you be happy for people to be in touch to learn about your work? Definitely. Um, And families do, the majority of referrals come from families themselves referring themselves. So hearing something, reading something, doing a Google search. So any family that wanted support because the child's parents are in prison, then yes, do get in touch. Exactly. So anyone who needs the support on the front line, but also anyone who might be interested in offering any type of support, be it time or, or financial. Uh, financial support is always always good too, isn't it? She's nodding furiously, by the way. You can't see her. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, I look forward to seeing you again in human form one day. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Links relevant to this episode 
can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review, and best of all, share this episode. Justice is produced for one small thing by the London Podcast Company. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.